My name is uh, Steve Kozak. Um, I'm not formerly with, the, uh, formerly with uh, Stand to Reason. I do work alongside them uh, and do stuff for them when they need me to. Uh, and this was an opportunity that I could not pass up. Uh, I run an organization or a ministry called uh, Defend Truth. Uh, and basically my whole mission is to empower youth to be able to share their faith, to be able to defend what is true, and provide you guys the resources. Um, so that's sort of my part-time gig. My full-time gig is I actually teach at a Christian school. I've been a Christian educator for about 10 years. I teach theology. I teach apologetics. I run the spiritual life of a school in Pasadena. So um, it is a tremendous privilege to come all the way up here uh, and hang out with you guys. I'm excited. And what we're going to talk about today is how to share your faith in ways that actually work. Um, not some surefire three-step process. You know, we're not talking about, you know, here's the track I'm going to hand you and you're going to go use that. Just come on, you can sit on stage. I don't care. Come on, little round. It's all good. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to work through how can you do it in a way that helps build your own confidence and that allows you to come alongside and actually build some relationships, Okay. So there are some sheets floating around. Hopefully you get one. If not, you can always shoot me an email and I'd be happy to send that on to you. But, you know, I haven't, I'm not one of those guys that, that, that was a Christian in my whole life. I grew up in a Christian home, but when I was in high school, which is probably why I love high school, is I walked away from the faith. I actually became um, a pretty hard-nosed atheist. I had my own version of morality. It was pretty terrible. Well, I eventually came around. My mom prayed a lot, so that kind of worked. And, I, and once, went, once I kind of came around, I realized that really to be an honest follower of Jesus, there are two commands that, I, I'll be honest with you, I just didn't like them. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, can't my faith be just something that I have and that nobody else is going to have and be great? Because then I can just do my thing and I haven't talked to anybody about it. Because honestly, don't let the fact that I'm up here talking fool you. I am incredibly introverted. Most people think when I'm at a party that I actually don't like them. Because I'm just like, I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to sit down. And, I, and my best time would be I'll just be sitting here just like, whatever. It's good. It actually takes me a lot to sort of get something started. And I spend every day, of my, every day in the classroom. It doesn't make any sense. God does weird things. But it's cool. So the last thing I wanted to do was hear Jesus say, go therefore and make disciples. Oh, really? So then I went to, oh, that just means take regular Christians and teach them. (laughs) I can do that. What about when Jesus said in Acts, you will be my disciples witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. It's this command to go and be witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who talks, someone who testifies. I have to talk about this? And it just was really uncomfortable. Now, my grandfather was an incredible evangelist. He would talk to anybody everywhere. He had tracts in his Bible, and he would be like handing them out. He'd be writing them. He'd be, and it was crazy. Every conversation, he'd be like, do you know Jesus? Like, so I tried that. Do you know Jesus? No, it feels weird. I can't do it. 
I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And more often than not, I had this really uncomfortable feeling. So maybe you're like me, right? Maybe you've had some of these feelings. Maybe you felt that you were um, so excited to share your faith. This isn't like me, but maybe this is you. That you're so excited to share your faith, you're like going to wet yourself because you're so excited that you just can't wait to start talking about Jesus. I don't know, that's not me. What about you're so hesitant and nervous that you're almost paralyzed into speaking? You're just like, can't, can't do it, right? And maybe you gear yourself up. I read a book once that said, just walk across the room. Just, you know, get there. Well, when I get there, I'm like, hi, I'm awkward, <laughs> okay? Because I am really awkward, okay? This is more of me. I'd rather be beaten and burned. I mean, I just don't want to do it, right? But I understand that Jesus wants us to do it. I understand why we should do it. I get that. So feel at ease for those of you that are like, this isn't my thing. And I'm really encouraged that we have like no room. This is awesome, okay? It means many of you guys at least want to know something about how to do this. My first profession was in sales. And I was really good. And the one thing you learn about in sales always be closing. They call it the ABC principle. Always be closing. You get into a conversation, always be closing. Always, always, always get the sale. So I was sort of taught and sort of brought up under the impression that sharing Christ was the same way. This idea of always be closing. You're in a conversation. You might have limited time. You don't know how long you're going to talk to that person, so you better get to the cross as quickly as possible. And I'm just like, that's too much pressure. I can't do that. Okay, close the deal. I remember one, someone once told me, don't ever leave a conversation without bringing up Jesus. I'm like, what if the conversation is, you know, I mean, I, my, my wife got into a car accident not that long ago and the car's at the shop getting, you know, all fixed up. It's like I'm sitting there talking about the car and the fact that it needs to be repaired. Do you know Jesus? I'm not feeling it. Like, it just doesn't seem to work for me. So it, could there be possibly maybe a better way to do this, okay? Now, at Stand to Reason, what they do is they have this thing called the ambassador model, okay? And I think I, I, think I have it on your sheet for you. And there's the two parts of it that I love, and that I think most of us are pretty good at, right? You have to have some knowledge, right? The first part of that is you've got to have a little bit of knowledge. You've got to have a good, informed mind. You've got to know something about what you're talking about. It starts with knowing Jesus. That's probably a good place to start. You can't really talk about what you don't know. And churches do a really good job of training you and getting you to know things. That's great, right? You can also look at the idea of character. Well, a church does a great job of that, developing your character, right? Making you somebody that is attractive, not in terms of looks, but in just terms of your overall attitude. You're a nice person. You're pleasant to talk to. Well, that's good. And then what we often do in the church is we say, okay, you're ready, Go. And we forgot one piece of it, is the wisdom piece of it, is that we need an artful method. We need some kind of methodology so that we go out and do something. I used to be a football coach back in the day, and I had this player, super smart kid. He was a defensive lineman. He's now a, like a mechanical engineer or something crazy smart that I don't get. And he knew the game. He could watch film. He knew exactly where everyone was. He knew what the play was. He could read his keys. He knew exactly what to do. Incredibly smart. But he had no idea how to get from point A to point B. He had no method. And if anybody that knows football knows, especially defensive linemen, needs good method to get 
the ball carrier to get to the quarterback, get to the running back, get whatever they need to do. Right? He had zero method. So many of us, we know what we know, and we know where we want to be, and we're a pretty nice person about it, but we don't know how to get there. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get there. Okay? This idea of, of wisdom gives us the right kind of method to provide us with an approach that's different than maybe what you have in mind. Okay? Because not everybody is in the same place. Not everybody is in the same realm of thinking. You might, let's say, for instance, you have an atheist friend that's way over here on the spectrum. Okay? So over here is the hard-nosed atheist, maybe where I was at one time. And all the way on this end by the piano is the Jesus freak. Okay? Now, the question is not, maybe it depends on where you are on the spectrum, but depends on the person that you're talking to, where are they? Right? Where is their particular belief? Maybe they're sort of a deist where they believe in God, but they're not really all about Jesus. Well, okay, that's a different conversation than with a hard-nosed atheist, or an agnostic, or a Muslim, or a Hindu, or whatever, right? You don't know where they are on the spectrum. So we have to figure out a way to get them from way over here at the, the atheist side, maybe we call this A, and all the way to the Jesus freak side of Z, right? Maybe all of your job to do, I wear myself out, is get them from A to B. Maybe that's all God wants you to do. Maybe that was your job. Maybe somebody else's job is to go from B to like L or something, okay? And move you along the spectrum. I know sort of my alphabet, okay? So how are we going to do that? We're going to put a rock in their shoe, okay? You ever walk around with a rock in your shoe? So annoying. I have these dress shoes that on the bottom of them, there's these little like holes. Every once in a while, a rock gets in there and my feet jingle when I walk. And I have to like take my shoes off. I'm like in the middle of school, I got my shoe off and I'm like shaking my shoe as I'm walking down the hallway trying to get a rock out. Why? Because it's irritating the living daylights out of me. I got to get it out. So in order to get a person from where they are to where God would have us bring them, we need to get a rock in their shoe to get them to stop and think about what they believe and why they believe it. Okay? And we're going to do that in maybe a different way than you have originally um, anticipated. Okay? First thing we're going to do is we are going to start with the idea of questions. Questions, 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 questions. Now, for someone like me who's a terrible conversationalist, questions are awesome, okay? Because all I got to do is ask questions. But what questions do I ask? Well, if we ask the right questions, we ask key questions, we can actually move a conversation forward in a way that is productive and we get to direct it a little bit. And we can actually have an end goal in mind at the same time not be under fire like we have to close the deal or make a sale, if you will, okay? So here's how this is going to work. We want to build relationships. Um, there's a video that floats around there, and my original um, plan was to show you the video, but we've had some technical difficulties because I'm an idiot and forgot to bring something for my computer. That's not besides, besides the point. But um, so the video is a guy telling his congregation at church, that in order to get a kid to believe in Jesus and take God seriously, he punched him. And he just like, he's like, 
I just punched him. And he just like goes crazy. And I'm like, how many people are in this congregation? And you don't hear the congregation say anything. And it's like no gasping, no nothing. They're probably in shock that this guy would actually punch somebody. Okay? So there's that option. That's probably not going to work. But what if we started asking questions, right? We can't assume we know what people believe. We've got to figure out why. Questions are going to help, right? We, um, we can't be focused solely on making our point. We all have that friend, maybe you're that friend, that is always insistent on making your point, and that you're really only listening to the person for a second because you're focused on what you're going to say next. Yeah. Um, those of you that are not admitting it, are you're that person. And we can't shove Jesus down somebody's throat. You guys, more than ever, live in a culture you absolutely cannot, I firmly believe this, you cannot shove Jesus down somebody's throat. You can't. It doesn't work. You immediately will turn people off. As much as I would love it, you know, the old, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think in our world, it's hard to even get the horse to the water, right? I mean, you know, the horse is like, you can't make me go to the water, okay? So that's sort of the culture that we live in. But also what questions do is it dignifies the other person. I mean, you sound interesting. You sound like you care. I hope you do. But you sound like you care about the other person when you start asking questions because you're genuinely interested in what they have to say. If a person picks up, if a person on this side of the spectrum is picking up that they they probably know you're a Christian, and the first thought is, oh, he's going to try and convert me. If that's not your goal, if your goal is not to make converts but to make disciples, they're going to pick up pretty quickly after a few questions that, wait a minute, they're just listening to me. They're just trying to get to know who I am. That's profound. That's going to make a monumental impact on that relationship. And your goal needs to not be to bring them to Jesus so much as develop a relationship. The relationship that you develop with them will hopefully bring them to Jesus. But first develop the relationship. First develop the trust for them to share with you some things that maybe are on their heart or their mind. Maybe there's a, a deeper reason why they believe what they believe. It gives you the opportunity to really get to know what the person actually believes. You've got to figure it out. Okay? A person says, I don't believe in God because there's too much evil in the world. Why? Why do they think that? Just because of maybe uh, of Orlando, or because maybe some, something very, very deep and personal happened to them, okay? Which is often the case. And guys, it takes the pressure off of you. I mean, it really does. It makes it fun, relaxing conversation. You actually will look forward to, okay? Francis Schaeffer, one of the greatest theologians and apologists, I think, said this. If I have only an hour with someone, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and finding out what is troubling their heart and mind. And then the last five minutes, I will share something of the truth. If you stick to that, you're going to do all right. So what do we ask? What are are some of the questions that we're going to ask? The first question you need to ask is a question that's going to gather intel. You need to gather some information from them. And that question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It's a great question. What do you mean by that? They say pretty much anything. Practice this on your parents. It's a great thing. It'll annoy the living daylights out of them. It is awesome. I do this to my wife and she drives her crazy. She'll say something. I need you to pick up something at the store. What do you mean by that? Of course, I know, I know what she means, right? Be home at 11. I'm sorry, what do you mean by that? 
What do you mean by 11 o'clock exactly? You mean around 11? Before? What do you mean, right? Practice this because it will come in handy when the questions actually have much deeper meaning. Like when someone says, there is no God. Let's practice. Ready? I want to say, there is no God. Now, what's going to happen? Now, you might not say that. You might say, what do you mean by God? Now, that's a much different question, right? So now you're saying, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by God? What do you mean? I don't know. Uh, what, what if the response was, well, I don't believe that there's some dude in the sky with a long beard with lightning bolts striking me down for everything I do wrong. What's my response? I don't believe in that God either. Oh, so maybe they're over here because they don't really understand God. Well, would it be okay maybe if I shared you what I believe about God? Interesting, right? So now you've got something to play with a little bit. What about this one? All Christians are intolerant. What do you mean by intolerant? Oh, we have a really interesting misunderstanding of the word tolerance. In order for me to tolerate you, I kind of have to disagree with you, right? That's how I tolerate you, right? Okay, when my children are being crazy and obnoxious, I'm tolerating it, right? It's not ideal, I'm tolerating it, okay? So what do you mean by intolerant? God cannot exist with so much evil in the world. What do you mean by evil? What, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking about like, you know, Orlando evil? Talking about personal evil? What are we talking about, right? What do we, and what do you mean, you know, how does that work out, right? There's something more going on there. Religion is nothing more than blind faith. Oh, what do you mean by faith? What do you mean by religion? I mean, some definitions, you can make atheism religion if you wanted. If, if you're defining religion as just simply a way to live, well, then atheism is religion too. Oh, well, what do you mean by religion? What do you mean by faith? Because oftentimes what we, what we see is that people don't understand what I mean when I'm talking about faith in Jesus. So if they're over here, they may not understand what faith in Jesus that makes me a Jesus freak is all about. Right? That's not blind faith. Right? If you've ever seen Miracle on 34th Street, the, the little mom uh, says to the, the little girl, um, faith is believing in something when common sense tells you not to. Well, that's not the Christian definition of faith. It's not blind at all. Right? Faith is trust in that what God is doing in Jesus. He's, he, the promise that God has made is, is manifesting itself in Jesus, and God will see his promises through the end. And I believe in that because I'm looking at the past in order to inform me of the future. Faith is something far different. What a great way to open that door, as opposed to just jumping down their throat like, hey, that's not what I believe. Question number two. It's designed so that you and the other person can discover why they think the way they do. Right? You need to know it, and maybe they need to know it. Right? But the why behind the what. So we ask, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that conclusion? It's making them go deeper into a lot of one-off statements that people like to make. Right? A lot of people like to say things like, um, let me bring up my example. All religions are basically the same thing. How did you come to that conclusion? I don't see it that way. You don't jump up like, oh yeah, no, and you start, no. no. And some of you might be prone to that. How many of you guys like to argue? Just like, you guys like getting yourself into arguments? Bad. Okay? It's bad. 
Don't argue for the sake of arguing. When we talk about arguing in the academic world, we're talking about crafted arguments where you've got logical points and you're making sense and you're listening, you're asking questions, right? So instead of just jumping down their throats because you want to get into an argument, ask them, how did you come to that conclusion? Especially if they say something wildly offensive. And people say wildly offensive things about Jesus all the time, right? All Christians are intolerant bigots. Okay, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, look at Westboro Baptist. Right. Them, yes. Rest of us, no. Okay, so we want to get a little bit deeper. Religion is the source of all wars. How did you come to that conclusion? Because that's not really historically accurate. Okay, so we can talk about that, right? My favorite one, the Bible is full of contradictions. This is a tough one, right? Yeah. What contradictions are we talking about? Give me one, please. Okay? You could say, what do you mean by that? But you also, how did you come back? It just kind of ends up being sort of the same question. Right? Can I, have a, can I have an example, please? Well, y'all, the gospel accounts of the resurrection are the same. Oh, okay. Well, can you give me a more specific example of what that looks like? Well, and you could go on and on. And eventually you might open the door to say, well, could I explain to you how that actually works and what, the, what gospel literature is and how certain aspects of the gospel are okay and how that actually helps our case for the resurrection rather than hurts it, right? You can go into some of that, okay? So the first question actually tells you what a person thinks. And the second question tells you why they think it, okay? Why they think it, all right? Make sense? So the second question actually then helps you turn the burden of proof on them. A lot of times what people will do is just ruffle our feathers and say a one-off statement that gets us offended, and then we kind of go down a rabbit trail. But if they make the comment, the Bible is full of contradictions, they've made the claim. They have to prove that they're right. You don't have to prove that they're wrong. So if you ask them questions, you're forcing them the burden of proof on them, and now they have to prove their point. And what I often tell people real nicely is like, hey, you can't just make statements like that. And neither can I. You have to make some informed statements, okay? You have to be able to defend without getting offended. Who cares if they offend you? It throws people off every time. I love it. I had a person not that long ago said, um, all Christians are, how'd they say this? It was really offensive. Something like all Christians are uh, intolerant and bigoted and they should like burn in their own hell or something like that. It was like really like, oh my gosh. Like, and and they, oh, they added hypocritical in there. And I just stopped and I went, all? All Christians? Do you, mean, do you really mean all Christians? And they were kind of like, well, a lot. I said, okay. And he's like, what? I said, are, are there some people who claim to be Christian and maybe not quite the way you say it, but are, do, do they act in a way that is inconsistent with Jesus? Absolutely. And it throws them because they're waiting for me to get all upset about it. I'm like, it's fine. They're offending Jesus, not me, and Jesus can handle it. I'm cool with that. He, he, he's good, okay? So, because if I get mad, I'm going to lose. If they get mad, I lose, Right? I'll never bring them on the spectrum of where I want them to be. Right? They'll be here. 
And maybe if I screw it up enough and I get them all ticked off, maybe they'll move this way backward. I hope not. But if I just be as much Jesus as I can, the hard part to realize sometimes is that you may be the only Jesus they encounter. Because when they see you, they see Christ. However you represent him, they see him because you're, calling, you're signifying yourself as a Christian. Okay? But the good news is you don't have to know it all. One of the biggest obstacles that people face when they're talking about sharing the faith is, oh, what if they ask me a question I don't know? Ask a question back. You're not going to know it all. I'm the first to admit, when it comes to scientific proofs for God's existence and how science works and intelligent design, it's my weakest area of apologetics. My strongest area is in the resurrection and biblical reliability and, uh, and God's existence and morality and those kinds of things. When it comes to science, I've always been weak in science. And I don't have a ton of time, so I can't work on some of those areas all the time. But that's okay. Because then what I do is I say, you know what? You know a ton about this. And I let them inform me. And I start asking carefully crafted questions based off of what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? And what it does is it opens up the door and makes them realize that, guess what? Maybe their worldview isn't all that it's cracked up to be. If the Christian worldview is absolutely true, that means every other worldview is then false, right? If Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So if that's the case, then some carefully crafted questions will actually sort of unveil the reality of their worldview and its inconsistencies. Not to make them look like fools, not to make them look stupid or make them feel bad, but to help them see it for themselves. And they'll do more for themselves by seeing it themselves than you telling them. You walk up and saying, you're wrong. Why? Because you are. Okay? And then you kind of didn't really impose your views. You just said, well, this doesn't really line up with truth. And here's what I think. And then it offers the opportunity to give them an alternative, right? Good ambassadors of Christ will be able to create a little bit of cognitive confusion or dissonance in somebody's mind so that they think it gets that rock in their shoe and they don't know what to do with it. Okay? But one little caveat to this is you can't be a jerk about it. And I, I, I've been bit more by this more than once. Is I've had a student who says, I, I, I did the questions, I did what you said, but it, they got mad at me. Talk to me about how you did it. Walk me through it. So they walk me through it. And this is what they said. Well, let's say the person said, I, I don't believe God exists. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, if, if, if all these hypocritical Christians are just representing God, then I don't even care about God. What do you mean by that? Well, how'd you come to that stupid conclusion? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, attitude's a lot, isn't it? How you say it, your tone of voice. You can't fake caring about somebody. They're going to see right through you, okay? So you've got to be actually genuinely uh, desiring to see them offer you some information and you've got to like, really want to know what's going on with them. You really have to want to know. And you've got to take the time to listen. So when you say, huh, it is interesting. Well, can, you, can you give me a little bit more of what you mean by that? Because I'm not, maybe I'm not, I'm not getting it. That, that, that does sound kind of offensive. Do you really mean this? Like, it's, it's an inquisitive question. 
Like, I just want to know. It's cool. And if the gift says, I'm not trying to get upset. I just, just want to know. I just want to know. Ravi Zacharias said this, the longer I'm in this work, the more I realize that intellectual struggles are merely the hazardous waste of life, blocking the heart from truth. The task of apologetics is to carefully remove that hazardous material and keep it from igniting into a destructive fire. Once that's done, the way to the heart is always through the way of the cross. God's love for each of us and every one. And I think that's absolutely true. Our job is to be excavators, to remove the waste. Get them to figure out that the stuff that they're thinking is not accurate. And then that opens the door to say, but here's the bad news. Your worldview doesn't work, but here's the good news. I got a worldview that does, right? The worldview that works is the one that has the best reasons for life's biggest questions. If you can't answer those questions accurately and you can't answer those questions um, consistently, then your worldview doesn't work. And, the, and most people want to live in reality. And yeah, there are going to be those people that be like, I'm cool with it. I know it contradicts. I don't care. Thank you for your consistency. There's a, uh, a tactic that I learned in, in, in seminary uh, that it was basically, it's called the kill babies for fun argument. Okay? And it goes something like this. <laughs> it sounds terrible, I know. It's a morality thing, and you're basically trying to get someone to admit that they have sort of a subjective view of morality, right? So the, the idea here is that you say, well, do you believe that killing babies for, for fun entertainment is, is, is wrong? And someone will say, well, yes, of course I believe that's wrong. I mean, most people would say that, right? Well, what if there was a culture in which that was okay? Would that be okay? Well, and then the tr- tradition, they'll say something along the lines of, well, yeah, for that culture, I think that's perfectly okay because it's a cultural thing and it's relative. And it's, okay, fine. All right, well, what if those two cultures collided? Well, you know, I, I, we keep them saying, what if it was your baby? And you bring it real personal, right? I've actually had this happen. As someone once said to me, well, I guess that's the way it goes. At that point, what did I say? Thank you for your consistency. And I moved on. Because I'm not going to. Because I think I, there's a point which you just got to say, you know, you know. I got, I, I said what I needed to say. I got you where I needed to go. Last thing, we'll leave you with this. If you want more information, DT Apologetics is my website. Um, and I, mean, I, I have resources and videos and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, certainly, it's, it's, it's newer, so it's coming up, and there's more being added. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen M. Kozak, um, K-O-Z-A-K. Last thing real quick, the Rethink Conference, okay? I don't have any handouts for you this time because they didn't get into me in time, but RethinkApologetics.com. It's not super expensive. It's actually very, very reasonable. I would encourage you, highly encourage you to get there, and experience it. It will grow you like you've never been grown before. Thank you guys very much.